Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad. So, Mark, one of Grand Funk Railroad's most popular songs is We're an American Band, and today you tour with Mark Farner's American Band. So how would you say being American affected your musical style? Well, being that the rest of the world copies our our dialect, our English, you know, American uh, English, which is far from the King's English, everybody sings rock and roll in American English, you know, with the Beatles, the Stones, everybody. And uh, so it's, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to uh, be in an American band because, brother, I don't have to fake the accent. So was there anything like culturally you think that would have changed your music because of, you know, where you grew up and I guess where you lived? Would have changed it, uh, not, it it was formed by uh, where we live, you know, in uh, Flint, Michigan, I was laid off from high school. Uh, I didn't finish. And and I say I was laid off because, you know, with all those uh, auto factories in Flint at the time, you layoffs were not uncommon. So I referred to me getting kicked out of school as a layoff. And uh, but uh, my surroundings, my music were, was formed by where I lived and what was, you know, I was listening to. I, I was listening to CKLW, which was in uh Windsor, Ontario, uh, Rosalie Trombley, she was booming into Flint, Michigan with some Motown and some R&B. And then later on, you know, the Beatles and the Stones and but but a lot of dance music, because back then, Sam, the the, uh, disc jockeys would go out on the weekends and they would set up their speakers and they would have these dances and people would come and then they started hiring bands. And I was happened to be one of the bands that would go and play these hops. And I was a dancer too. I love to see people dance and I was encouraged by that. And part of my whole uh, career has been the dancing on stage. I dance, man. I still dance. I'm 75. I dance my ass off. <laughs> well, that is some of the fun of it, right? You get to really live in the music as much as you're being a part of playing it. That's right. Absolutely, brother. So can and you... The, let me just say, the audience brings that out of me. You know, that's part of the audience's job. If they want to see us dance, they got to pull it out. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so do you expect your audience to dance as well? Yes, especially when we're doing uh, like the locomotion some kind of wonderful people don't want to sit and listen to that they want to stand up and dance to it and and so far we haven't had any disruptions we've had some locomotion lines of people some three four five hundred people doing the locomotion in in a single line at some of the festivals we played and uh, and it's a blast you know people love to get up and dance and move around and you can't just sit there when you're my age and and my some of my fans are older than me dude so i gotta get them up and get them moving they gotta move every once in a while you know stretch and and uh just get the blood going. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, do you have any, like, techniques that help you get everyone excited, or is it just, like, based on the show? Some some are happy, some aren't. Well, it is based on, uh, you know, the crowd, and, and I know that because they're there to see me, they know who I am, 
When I show up, Sam, I am who my songs say I am. And since I wrote 92% of the music in the Grand Funk Railroad catalog, I can do all that stuff, and uh, and they're happy. And that's really what they want. They want me to sing the music. And thank God I'm still singing it in the same key, brother. <laughs> so that's a plus. Oh, yeah. Well, can you tell me a little bit of how Grand Funk Railroad came together? Yeah, we were a four-piece, uh, I say we, Don Brewer and myself, the drummer and myself, were in a band called The Fabulous Pack. I was just a stand-up lead singer. We had a guitar player, bass player, keyboard player, and drummer. So we were out in Boston. It was the first time we'd been out of, of uh, you know, Flint, Michigan, and and touring on the East Coast. So uh, they told us, uh, the promotion people told us if we did good that we could go back out there and make some money. And every young band wants to hear that. You're going to make some money? Yes. Okay, let's do this. So we 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 were under the auspices of doing these free shows so that when we go, if we do good, we go back, we make some good cash. We were actually getting paid and and we found out after we were there and the, the uh, biggest snowstorm in the history of the world hit the East Coast in 1969, man. Oh, my God. It socked us in. We were on Cape Cod. We were in summer cottages that had these little tiny space heaters in there. We were freezing our asses off. And us boys from Michigan, it's the first time we'd been to the ocean. So we were down to the beach. We had all these starfish and we had these you know, all of the seashells and, you know, all the seahorses and sea biscuits and all the stuff. And so we put that, all that stuff on the shelves underneath these cottages in the crawl space under there. And when that storm hit, dude, it, all that stuff flooded and our stuff got frozen into the ice in these crawl spaces and the flooding killed the, the plumbing. There was no more taking a dump in the toilet because that, <laughs> it was frozen. <laughs> we had to use a chair, the kitchen chair, an old chair that didn't have any seat in it. We just kind of put a bag and some plastic below that and did our thing in the bathroom. <laughs> and it folded that thing up, went outside and buried it in the snowbank. Things got pretty tough for us. Yeah, that seems rough. I yeah, that <laughs> hey, that would build some build some uh, teamwork there, right? Some bonding. Yeah, but when we got home from that we were two two weeks late getting home <clears throat> and so two of the guys were married and their wives threatened to divorce them and so they had to quit the band and <clears throat> the guitar player from canada had to quit oh my and it put us in a in a compromise and i told uh brewer the drummer i said dude we need to make a to form a three-piece band <clears throat> and and let's not, let's not have any women involved we don't want them married we want to get no married guys we don't want them to even have a girlfriend we're just gonna do this music and be serious about it so we started looking and we went uh, when we got back to michigan uh thanks to don's mother don's mother did a western union she western union enough cash up to this drugstore that we hitchhiked up the coast to get the money we we rented a van and we put all of our equipment in it and drove back to michigan but when we got back there we said we're gonna go up to delta promotions and give them a piece of our mind because we found out we were making 350 dollars a week and we never saw a cent of it so or uh, not a week a gig oh <laughs> we wow did several, several gigs in a week so we wanted to find out about that so we're in 
in the waiting room at Delta Promotions, part of their facility was a rehearsal facility and a band called Question Mark and the Mysterians was rehearsing up there. And you couldn't see who was in that band because you couldn't see through the wall, but you could hear the bass. It was really thumping and the the uh, bass drum and, and sometimes a guitar. But I, I turned to Don. I said, listen to that bass player. He says, yeah, man, that bass player is doing it. I said, man, we got to find out who that is. So when they took a break, Mel Shocker come walking out and he was playing bass with Question Mark and the Mysterians at the time. And uh, I said, Melvin, what are you doing here? He says, I'm playing bass with these guys. I said, oh, man, Don and I is going to form a three-piece band. I was wondering if maybe you would might want to join us. And, and he says, man, I am ready to leave this band. There were some bad things that was going down. He was being blamed for some things. He said, I'd be glad to get out of this right now. When are you guys starting? I said, next week. So he came to the West uh, the reunion uh, at, uh, where the heck was it? Averill Street. We went to the Union Hall, the Musicians Union Hall, started rehearsing. And the guy would come out, Frank Geyer, that ran the hall, and he'd come out into the main room and he'd say, you boys, turn that stuff down. I can't even hear the phones ringing in here. You know. So, so anyways, that's, that's where we got started. And uh, that's where I wrote most of the first album. I did write Heartbreaker before that when I was 18 years old I was with Dick Wagner and the Bossman and that's on our first album too but the rest of that stuff was written mostly there at the Union Hall and that was played before we had a record it was played at the Atlanta Pop Festival 1969 we played all of the first record we went on free we did a free show it was three day festival the first day we went on at 12 noon 110 degrees in the shade and we're talking about 185,000 people there so as soon as you get on that stage and you look out you, you realize this is a lot of folks and our Don and I were 20, and the bass player, Mel, was 19 when we did that gig. And uh, we did our music, and they loved it. They didn't want us to leave the stage, brother. So the next night, they put us on at 7 p.m., a little better advantage. There were a lot of national acts on before us, but they slipped us in there. And then the third night, we went on at 11 p.m., with the lights and we got the whole effect of, uh, you know, in a huge PA system and the people, you know, that many people, they were not all from Atlanta, Georgia. They were from all over the United States, Canada. A lot of people came from Mexico, uh, fans from South America were there and, uh, the word went out. So it was right after that festival gig that we got a deal uh, Terry Knight signed a production deal with Capitol Records and we were signed to him. So we began putting out records as Grand Funk Railroad on Capitol Records. Wow. So you guys really, you did um, experience the hot and the very cold from, from the sounds of things. Those two festivals, well, that festival and your, your frozen uh, bathroom situation, those two are, are very uh, different temperature wise. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. So you you played um, with Grand Funk. You guys were a trio, at least in the beginning. And you've also played in groups like Ringo's All-Star Band. Would yes. How would you say, like, being in big and small groups has gone for you? Like, do you prefer being in a, a really big group or a small one? 
Well, I like it because I learned when I was with the Ringo Stars All-Star Band in, in 95, I learned from the other players like Randy Bachman from the BTO showed me the chords that he was making. So I was learning from Randy and I and I learned from Billy Preston, God rest his soul. He was a virtuoso keyboardist and, and vocalist, great musician. And just to be able to sit on the same stage with that dude and play, it was a blessing. And Felix Cavalier, another great singer, another great B3 player, uh, to play with that class, you know, and that caliber of musicians, uh, that gave me some expansion. I, I learned from having been in that group and with Mark Rivera on uh, acoustic guitar, percussion and vocals in the back and Ringo's son, Zach Starkey on the drums. And of course, Ringo playing, he's all, he's all over the stage. He's up front singing, he's back on the drum kit. You never know where he's gonna be. He's just having fun and the audience loved him and we loved him because he's a great guy. Uh, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that experience away, Sam. Um, but I do like playing three-piece. And in my group, Mark Farner's American Band, when it comes to us playing a song that was recorded three-piece, my keyboard player, Mark Hoyt, steps off stage and we're three-piece. So it's rocking, man. You know, it's like, I want to reproduce those records the way the people heard them. And uh, I might not be the same, playing the same lead that they heard on the song, because I play different leads all the time. I get inspired and I'll play a little different. My mother, who got me into playing guitars, her name was Betty, her nickname. She was Elizabeth Jane, but they called her Betty. And she got me into playing guitars when I was 15 years old. I sustained a football injury because I was playing ball at the time. And she knew that I loved to hear my name getting called on the loudspeaker, you know, they say, that was Farner number 66 in on the tackle. And I'd be prancing across that field, buddy. I'd just, oh, yeah, that was me, you know. <laughs> and uh, she knew I loved that. So she got me the guitar lessons. And uh, I started when I was 15. And we had our first million-selling album when I was 20. I know with uh, Grand Funk Railroad, you also did an album with Frank Zappa, right? Yes. So Good singing. Good playing, that's the title of it. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came together? Yeah, we were talking about who we should use for a producer, and a bunch of names came up, and, and so we just wrote them all down on a piece of paper and put them in a hat, shook it up, and I don't know who drew it, but drew it out, Zappa. Oh, man, you think he'll, you think he'd do it? You think he'd come to Michigan? It's like, and dude, when he came to Michigan, uh, he loved it, you know, he was used to living up in the hills up above Hollywood. So Michigan was is like uh, going into the wilderness for him. So he we, we were in the studio planning out what we were going to do, what songs, because, you know, when we went in, we had way more music than would fit on an LP. And he says, well, we're going to have to lose some of these songs um, because of the length, you know, we can't get them all on the album. Which ones should we we lose? He said, what about that? Don't let them take your gun. And I said, oh, no, we ain't losing that. He says, well, I've never shot a gun. I said, do you want to shoot a gun? He goes, yeah, man, you got a dirty Harry? And I said, yeah, I got a dirty Harry. So I go across the street to the farm and I grab my 44 Magnum, a Model 29 Smith, and uh, I put 44 special shells in it, which 
you know, it's not going to jump out of his hand with a 44 special. It's a, a lot lighter load. But I said, I'll put a target up on the hill. We had a hill there that was formed from all the dirt we dug out of the ground to, to dig a pond where we could go swim in there. And also it gave us a, a perk test for the building and we could put the building. We had the building permit and the building went up. So here's this big hill. I said, I'll put a target out there. He said, no, nah, man, I want to shoot a can like they do in the movies. And I go, okay, I'll put some beer cans out there. So I put some cans out there on the hill and he draws down. I had already talked to him and, you know, talked him through how to do it, how to breathe and how to just squeeze the trigger. It's got to be a surprise or it's not going to be a good shot. And, uh, and he aimed, he draw down on that can, aimed and boom, he hit it dead nuts in the middle, slam that can. And he goes, oh man, did you guys see that? And he swings around and we're all ducking going, gun safety, gun safety, Frank. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He points it at the ground, but he was so excited about drilling that can. And, uh, and I was excited because I got to be there and it was my gun that Frank Zappa shot first the first one he ever shot and he became a, a member of the national rifle association after that oh geez yeah so so you were frank zappa's first gun experience that's really funny yeah. actually yeah brother oh wow well you know what mark that that was yeah that was a hilarious story and you know thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today your whole your whole music story your zappa story all that stuff is just so interesting and you know good to hear and good to spread the, the yeah. history of Grand Funk Railroad. So thank you, Mark. I appreciate it, Brother Sam. Good to be here with you. Anytime, brother. All right. And if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. I'm Sam Pador, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Farner, a founding member of Grand Funk Railroad. So if you did enjoy that interview, make sure to check out mybackpages.org to hear many great interviews just like this one.